You've found the podcast where driving matters. Whether you haul, commute, or cruise, we want you to love what you drive. We're here to help you find usability and fun. From first-time buyers to jaded experts, we believe everyone is one great car away from being car-obsessed. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hello again. Welcome back to the podcast. We're glad to be back with you. Happy Tuesday. We have a really cool topic Tuesday coming up that I want to, I'm curious about the thoughts on this. We're talking about cars in the Midwest versus the rest of the U.S. (laughs) Essentially. It's interesting, actually. Is it hard to find good cars if you're not in the Midwest is part of the question. And uh, George is writing in from Colorado about uh, what comes after a Focus RS. Many thoughts there and great questions. And I should mention, we're getting awfully close to podcast 700. Right. I can't believe it, but we are. We're far away. And as we've said, when every 25 podcasts, so the 100 intervals in every 25, we do a live podcast that will be the night before they normally release on YouTube Live. So that will be coming up uh, in a couple Tuesdays from now. Actually, technically, it's a Monday night we'll record for a Tuesday's podcast. That's number 700 coming up. That is the week before we travel all the way to the Atlantic for our East Coast meetup slash That is a lot Radwood. of driving. It's a lot of driving. It's going to be awesome. That's going to be a lot of audiobooks that I'm yeah. going to be chewing yes. through. I've been downloading them already. That's Have how you? far ahead I am. Oh like audiobook gosh. one, audiobook two. <laughs> but we'll be shooting a lot of fun stuff too as we go. It's going to be great. When your car needs new brakes, it's a great time to upgrade for better stopping power. We're excited to partner with Power Stop Brakes for an easy way to get more performance from something you already need. PowerStop is on a mission to deliver better brakes on every vehicle in every situation from daily commuting to towing to track days. These are all bolt-on, direct-fit parts for better braking, no modifications required. Every PowerStop complete brake kit comes with all the parts you need to upgrade your brakes, including pads, rotors, and even those little clips and fasteners. Plus, all their pads are made from a carbon fiber ceramic compound, which they've tested extensively to deliver low-dust and noise-free performance. So the next time you need brakes or you simply want to upgrade, visit PowerStop.com and enter your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use car finder. Give your everyday driver the easy and affordable performance upgrade it deserves at PowerStop.com. Today's Topic Tuesday comes from Mark C., who is in the New York City metro area, or the New York metro area, Mm -hmm. who has been listening to us for a little while. Glad that you have, Mark. Thank you for writing. You have a Topic Tuesday that I hadn't considered, Mm -hmm. and it has to do with location. Well, he says, starting out, our advice has helped add another perspective to his car search. It's also helped reassure him that the goal he's had of getting a Mazda 3 Turbo, not the Premium Plus, (laughs) is probably worthwhile. They're very cool. They really are good, yeah. He's test-driven twice now and loved it. He says the steering is noticeably not as well-weighted as his base 2011 Mazda 3, and the tires need more sidewall and less metal, but the power is appreciated. He says it still handles the twisties well, Mm -hmm. and the interior made his car feel Spartan in comparison. They're very cool. They really are. But both times, the deal was a little too mark-uppy. Quotes. (laughs) Didn't know that was a term. Mark-uppy. Good to know. Excellent. So he's hoping one of the other dealers in his area that is charging at MSRP gets one allocated near the spec he's hoping for. And then now that we're past tax season is... You know, it's behind us. So. We're still all bruised and hurting oh, and gosh. bumbling along. But yes, it was gnarly this year. But he says no time to sleep is a great distraction from there not being any inventory. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. Now, we've given out a lot of suggestions. We've got our mm-hmm. top tens. We've got our greatest hits yes, list. We do. We've got yep. the the cars that always take the place of other cars like the Audi TT. Mm-hmm. Great car. Caymans exist. True. That's a problem. Yeah. People have written to us asking, how come you never recommend insert car here? Blank car. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we've explained, well, 
we like it. It's good. And if you like it, great. And it does it for you. It mm-hmm. lights your candle. Wonderful. Yeah. But there's other cars that are better in those segments. Something in the category that's above it. Yeah, for true, for sure. He says, Mark says, namely any instance of Porsche's sub $30,000 or a BMW M car sub $20,000. Okay. Scouring Facebook marketplace, Craigslist, eBay motors and dealership lots. He says for anything remotely in his area, the only instances of such cars at the price point in the Northeast that are not rusted out, damaged, never poorly maintained, 15 plus years old and are modified more than the Star Wars special editions. I love it. No, that's a good reference. Thank you Star for Wars that. special editions. Buddy, don't even get me started. George Lucas decides that he never really is done with those movies. And now that the visual effects are better, we should do them again. And they're never really quite as what? right. Yeah, there's a whole other thing. It's okay. You're, you're okay over there. The, the point he's making is <laughs> unless it's a version he would never want to buy, he can't find any Porsche product less than 30,000 or any BMW M car less than 20,000. And yet you and I keep th- seeming to bring these up. We do. Mark also says that given these are enthusiast cars in areas of mostly city, mostly urban areas, yeah, yeah. they are no doubt hard miles. Mm-hmm. He knows our focus of the show is fun and certainly driving fun. And he appreciates that. But the thought of spending so much in a car that will need so much time and money and effort to maintain, or in some cases should just be scrapped because they're too dangerous to be on the road is mind boggling. 1983 Porsche 928s don't need to be scrapped. <laughs> they just, just dumped a bunch of money into mine. A fire hose of cash <laughs> shot at them for hours at a time <laughs> until your wallet is drained. Yeah. And my knuckles were bloody. Uh-huh, for sure. He, he does acknowledge, he said, look, I, I'm 26 years old. I live in actually New York, Manhattan metro area. You have a good job, but your work from home, it takes all your time. And yeah. there's nowhere for you to do car guy things. There's no garage. There's no covered parking. You, you can't even wash. I love this. You can't even wash your car unless your landlord is out of town and won't see you doing it. Whoa. So, let, so, so imagine how much he cannot possibly work on his car if he has to like, plan time to wash it. So <laughs> the, the idea of buying the old car he has to work on a bit, he, there's nowhere to do that. There's no buying that. So he's, he's starting down the road of, wait a minute. Is, is buying these cars completely dependent on location. Mark, we know of a nice hack that Chance did mm. at his former apartment building. That's right. Now builders and architects are not putting outdoor water spigots in an effort to prevent people from washing their car, mm-hmm. watering the lawn, yeah. or using yeah. any outdoor right. water supply yep. because it's so regulated. Mm-hmm. this apartment with that water meter. Sure. And yeah. if there's an outside spigot and suddenly somebody is using it for all kinds mm-hmm. of things like washing their car. So chance did this great life hack. <laughs> he went to home Depot uh-huh. and he bought a $15 part and attached it to his kitchen sink spigot, faucet. Yeah. his yeah, faucet yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. there ran the hose out the window and out to the driveway. And everybody walking by was like, how do you, how are you washing your car? That's cool. You're washing your car in your driveway. How Where's you, water coming from? How are you doing that? Where's the water? He's like, I, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't know. know what you're My, my unit about. just has this. I can just able to exactly. able do Why? this. Yeah, for sure. You can't? Uh-huh. Yeah. What, what's wrong with you, man? <laughs> so you could do that, but we understand if it's a landlord issue, that can be a problem. That can for prevent sure. you. So Absolutely. not only does he live in New York, mm-hmm. it's his landlord. He doesn't have the space. He says he can't even think about changing fluids for fear of staining his landlord's driveway. Yeah, for sure. There's no working on the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's been agonizing about making sure he gets a car that is both fun and practical and reliable. That's three things. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's all of the above. It's pick, he's having a pick two moment. Fun, <laughs> practical, reliable pick two. He's having that right. moment, but yes. And then balancing that against the crazy car market that yes, we're in. Yes, it is, for sure. He took heart the praise. Took to heart about the praise we did for the Honda Civic Si that we gave it. But they're exceedingly rare over there, he says. And when they pop up, they're marked up well past the Mazda 3. Even the last generation models are expensive. And he only has enough experience to drive manuals in order to operate an old C10 that was used exclusively in fields and under 15 miles an hour when he worked in landscaping eight years ago. So his question is, is the Midwest just filled with better quality cars that people (laughs) haven't realized they could export to the coast? Hmm. Because these deals that are spoken of seem otherworldly, maybe 2019 otherworldly. Mm. Or are these suggestions given irrespective of having to deal with the issues that inevitably come up? He knows the thought of sound financial decisions is a taboo subject, but how would our suggestions change if our audience had minimal ability to wrench and the environment was not hospitable to cars? Mm. You've got a great question. You're absolutely right. Because it's easy when you're in the environment you're in for cars aside Mm -hmm. to say, well, this is how it works. This is in in any subject matter. And you're right. We do recommend cars the way you've described. However, when we're reading somebody's emails, we're trying to extrapolate not just what they're looking for, but reading between the lines. And you'll notice Mark that it's rare that we'll recommend some of these cars that need a lot of love and care and wrenching to somebody that doesn't have the ability or the time or, or the, like you're desire. saying, yeah, for sure. they just need a car that runs and we'll try to weight our choices. Even though I want you to have a Cayman mm-hmm. or a Boxster yeah, yeah. or something fun, we'll have to weight our choices over to something that might be a little bit less fun and might be more on the reliable side. And so therefore not as good as, at handling and all right, but that's the trade-off that people are looking for and are willing to take in their email. So we're always looking for that. But I want to ask a question back to you, Mark, and that is you're 26 in the New York metro area, and it doesn't seem like you have a lot of time, Mm -hmm. time of your own. You're doing the work from home thing, but that takes all of your time. And so how often would you be getting out to drive your fun car? Imagine you land on, we we all decide on a choice for you, whatever that is. You've got it. Now it's in New York. Not only are you paying insurance rates to have a car in New York, you're paying for the parking space to store it Mm -hmm. and then trying to deal with all the regular stuff of, like you said, keeping it clean, changing the oil, doing stuff to it. Where are you going to drive this? Mm. I don't see anything about your current lifestyle that would allow you to go take your car on fun drives. Mm. Maybe a car would change your lifestyle and that's totally valid. Sure. Yeah. What if you had a car and suddenly weekends became your own again and you got out and you went on road trips and you got out and you saw the world. <laughs> okay. All right. I like that, but I'm not seeing anything in your email that indicates this is, you know, Canyon driving is really important to me and I make time to go mm-hmm, do this. Mm-hmm. Would having a car, if we found a choice for you, would having this car actually be beneficial? Is it worthwhile to get a car at this Mm, point in your mm. life? Because yes, there's a lot of cars in the middle of America, in the middle of the country. Yeah. 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 The middle East. (laughs) Easy there. Yeah. Uh It's like Kansas, right? (laughs) That's just the middle. That's not even middle. That's just middle. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of great cars that require good roads and they need space to enjoy them. You wouldn't want those kinds of cars in New York. You worry about dings and, you know, getting broken into and covering mm-hmm. it up and protecting from sure. everything. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
But I'm wondering, could you, would you get out? Would you take this car? Would you go do stuff with it? Or would, would it become an albatross mm. and weighing you down and causing you even more stress? Because sure, there's a lot of great, let's take E30 BMW M3s. Do you see any of those in New York City? Mm. They require a lot of care and feeding. Sure. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of maintenance. I mean, maybe, maybe there's some tucked and, away in garages. And people with a people lot of money, they have their, sure. their dedicated garage space that it costs more than most people's rent. And they have their guy that works on it, but if you're if you're living a level below that, Manhattan's really difficult. We see this reflected in press fleets mm. around the country, mm. whereas a lot of the press fleets, we'll just take Denver, which supports us mm-hmm. a lot. They're not getting all the hot cars. True. In the summer, one or two will occasionally come through, and they'll yeah, you know yeah. serve this area. But for the most part, you want the hot stuff, you go to the coasts, mm-hmm. you go to Dallas. That's where those cars are available. You want all the McLarens and the Porsches and you go to LA. That's where mm-hmm. most of yeah. those press yeah. fleets are located. Atlanta is another big hot spot. So is Miami. So those, you're right. The, the coasts have the, all the fun stuff, but that's from a press fleet standpoint. Yeah. The opposite is the buying public. The mm. opposite of that is what are people buying in your area? It's different in Washington than it is in Colorado. Well, not quite. The Subarus are still the same, but nevertheless, <laughs> different in Washington than it is, let's yeah. say, in Alabama or Texas or sure, absolutely, yeah, Louisiana, yeah, yeah. all those kinds of states. And then that's different than really the, the predominant car buying public mm-hmm. in California or let's go to North Carolina, let's go up to New York. So car companies very much look at what will sell. Mm-hmm. If they're providing to their dealers a bunch of cars they know aren't going to sell, that's going to sit on some dealer's lot. Of course, first of all, they wouldn't even take them. Yeah, yeah. We'll sit on this. Now, every once in a while, there does come along a special thing where people shopping in those areas find some Kia Stinger sitting on the lot that mm-hmm. you know is not the really the market where it belongs. Sure, yeah. That's happened to people. They'll find some jewel based on you know nothing. It just happens to be there, and they. Dealers trying to get rid of it and they get a deal on it and it came from some odd place. But car companies are always looking at where their cars are sold, mm-hmm. what cars in what markets are sold. And that can be divided up. I mean, that's sliced up so thinly, but that's why you're seeing a dearth of models in your area. And you want all the fun stuff, but on the other hand, is that what the buying public is consuming? Is that what people good are question. buying? Yeah, good question. I'm asking. But my big question for you is, if we got you a car, if we got you some fun car, would you use it? Mm-hmm. Good question. How is, much is it would you for use another it? time in his life when he's got a different situation? This is what question. I'm wondering. Yeah. And not that, you know, maybe you're there for another two, three, four years mm-hmm. in this job. You don't know where your career is going to take you. After 9-11, I heard of so many financial people chucking it mm-hmm. and going to California that bought a winery yeah. and they're <laughs> living the good life. life. Change. Yeah, for sure. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh-huh. It, there was more than one of those kinds of stories mm-hmm. where- People in a big city got out to go live there. It's their happening life. with with whole COVID of the last two years. Yeah. People are like, well, if I can work from home, then my home doesn't need to be here. Well, you, yeah. you mentioned that, Mark. You're saying you're already working from home. Mm-hmm. Do you have an office that you're required to go into? You're, you're headed toward that route we go to sometimes, which is like, what you need to do, my friend, is move. <laughs> do you need to move? <laughs> you're a car person in this situation, move. Well, look, Todd yeah. and I are talking about all the construction that's going on in Utah. Yeah, yeah. It's staggering. It's, it's crazy. And there's a lot of construction going on everywhere. Colorado mm-hmm. has yeah. Almost every state has monumental construction that people are noticing that hasn't happened before. And that's because of this whole work from home thing. Yeah. 
you know, we talk about speculation and is there going to be a real estate dip and is there going to be sure. some flattening? Maybe, but people have discovered they can work from pretty much anywhere and companies doesn't matter. Financial technology, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. have discovered that they can find workers anywhere. Good workers. Yeah. You can live in Wyoming and work for a tech company now. Yeah, true. You could. True. It's more accepted than it mm-hmm. was and therefore the real estate craziness, I don't know. I don't think it's going to necessarily go down a lot. I mean, I, I mean, we're not a real estate podcast either, but you know, this is we, not, we, it does cross our mind speculation yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, we see all the construction going on here and everybody wants to be in the recreation sports and we've got skiing here. We've got mountain biking mm-hmm. here and we see hotels being built and condos. Yeah. And, big time. Holy cow. It is staggering here and prices shooting up and all this stuff. So I'm wondering to have the kind of car that you want, that kind of car lifestyle, it seems to be in conflict with New York right now. It's very hard with Manhattan, for sure. And a lot of the people that we know, like automotive journalists and stuff that live in New York, that live in Manhattan proper, what's interesting about that is they do most of their work outside. They, 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 I mean, outside the city. Like They fly away from Manhattan to where the cars are, and they mm-hmm. do stuff, and then they come back to Manhattan, and they live there for whatever reason. So, And I'm talking automotive journalists. That's why Monticello Motor Club is well outside true. the city. Yeah, true, true, true. Mark, there's, there's a lot of thoughts here, because you're asking about, how do I do this? And, or an, another way, you're ask, also asking, how do we do this? Where are we finding these cars? Why are we finding them yeah. to be valuable? And why are we finding them to, be, to make sense? So I want to say a couple things. First off, absolutely there is a connection to where you live and how you use your car as a major factor in what you should own. And if you don't, I'll give you two personal examples I've mentioned before. First off, if I commuted on the 405 every day, you guys have heard me for nearly 700 podcasts now rant about how much I love my Lotus Elise. If Mm -hmm. I commuted on the 405, I would not own a Lotus. I'll go you one further. If I had to park my Lotus Elise outside, I probably wouldn't own a Lotus. I have room to park it outside. But this is a car, in spite of being British, built in the land of everything rains, if it sits outside in the rain, the seals leak. Yeah, yeah. Okay? So if I had to park that car outside, I wouldn't own it. So it's absolutely your your area is a factor. The other thing I, I want to bring up here is... You've said, wait a minute, how are we finding these prices? First off, in case you haven't noticed, and we are still uh, boggled by it, almost across the board, any car we were talking about a year ago, this is... <laughs> Almost summertime 2022. Cars we were talking about a year ago are five to 10 grand cheaper. I mean, more expensive across the board mm-hmm. than they were a year ago. And I'll go you one further. When we did our $8,000 car challenge, and some people get confused on this, we found pages of each of those models available for eight grand or less the morning we shot it in August of 2021. Right. It's, we were having, concerned if we're going to say yes. and state publicly 8,000, we've got to be able to back said that. Up. Now, Six, eight months later, most of those cars are significantly harder at less than eight grand. Most of them are 10 to 15 now. The market has changed that much in that short an amount of time. It's amazing. And I will admit, yeah. as a result, sometimes, I th- and I will try to speak for both of us, even though I don't know that we both do it. I know I have this problem. I will make a recommendation and be like, no, 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 hang on. Those aren't that cheap anymore. And I have to go back and see what the current prices are because they've moved that much in six months. Right. So that right. is definitely a factor as well, Mark. But the big thing that you're missing here that does relate to your initial question is when we make recommendations, we are always looking nationwide. Yep. We never are always. just looking in the location of where the person is. Now, if you want to look in your own location, your prices will definitely vary. 
But we are big proponents, because we've done it multiple times, of buying the right car away from you and either spending money getting it shipped to you or flying to it and driving it home and learning your car that way. We've both done both of those ideas many times. Yep, many times. If you found the right car, I'll tell you, the South has tons of cheap cars comparatively to you in Manhattan. Texas, Florida, Arizona, California has cars that have never seen, in many cases, rain that are somehow (laughs) cheap because there's just, they're going through cars so fast over there. So you have to, if you're looking for something specific, you have to look nationwide. That's how you find the deals. They are hidden. And sometimes the local folks, when they haven't gone nationwide with it, this is how I find my 300ZX. I wound mm-hmm. up on Craigslist, thanks to Auto Tempest, in Billings, Montana. Mm-hmm. And the car at that point was only listed on local Craigslist in Billings, which means there was no market to buy that car. And I came in from Park City and went, I'd like that one, please. If that had been listed on Bring a Trailer, I wouldn't own it because I'm sure it would have probably been 10 grand more. So you've got to do the digging. You have to, if you're looking for something specific, as soon as you land on the specific car, you look nationwide and you go, get that car. The last thing I want to say about all of this is that, yes, the prices are constantly changing. So we try to look things up to make sure that they're current. If you're listening to a podcast from 18 months ago, those prices aren't current. But I Yeah, just, people have written to us saying how much fun it is to listen to and go, two or three years ago. It, yeah, well, when we were oh, talking about nostalgia. the bottom of the original first yeah. gen NSX at 45 grand, remember those days? I do remember those oh, days. Man. I wish for those days. Uh, every Lotus Elise is 30 grand. Those days are gone too. It's terrifying. But I, I just had a personal experience with this and I was very struck by it. I was recently in Mexico, family trip. We went down to Cancun. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've talked about how that trip was mixed, but here's the two interesting things I noticed as a car guy down there. The roads aren't good and there's right. a lot of traffic okay. on the limited number of roads. And I was very struck by two things in that market because there's a really nice Porsche dealer down there. There's really nice high-end, all the Seat, the Seat deal, dealers like Christmas to me. I'm like, oh, Seats, a big bunch of Seats. There they are, Seats. And everybody else is going, what? I don't care, whatever. So anyway, so yeah, it's fascinating. But funny. small pickups, little tiny pickups that are the size of a hatchback are incredibly valuable in, the, in Mexico. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the other thing is I, I, I saw a couple of nice cars because, again, you, they sell Porsches and stuff down there. But generally, no sports cars, none, nothing low-riding. With mm. the exception of like small sedans and stuff. Mm. The only exception, I saw a few Miatas of all vintage. But let's be honest, a Miata is not very heavy. You can avoid most of the potholes and they have a lot of suspension travel. Funny. Which is one of the things that we talk <laughs> about sometimes is we wish it had less suspension travel but had a stiffer suspension. But if you're in that situation where the roads aren't good and it's you and a bunch of little pickups darting in and out of traffic, Miata really is the answer. There's a sports car for a location. So your location is definitely a factor, but if you really find a car that you feel like, I want to have one of those, Mark, and you aren't moving, because that really may be the answer is moving. I love it when that's our recommendation. Our car debate is move. It is not off the table. Pack the box. But if, but if you, once you find the car you're looking for, we could not recommend more that it is a nationwide search. Look, to your point, many people who are car enthusiasts, and as they've matured in their careers and they make more money and they're able to spend more money on their hobby... The cars aren't kept in the city. Manhattan aside. True. No, that's a great They a live point. and work yeah, yeah. in the mm-hmm. city. This is why I'll take downtown Seattle mm-hmm. as an example. There's uh, our friend Matt Bell at the shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He hit upon this idea and he's got so much clientele. I mean, there's a lot of Amazon or Microsoft money in Seattle. Yeah, for sure. But there's a lot of professional sports uh, athletes. And where do I keep my car? 
where do I keep my car? And or he's cars. just outside of downtown, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it is certainly a destination to go to the shop, but there's yeah. food there, and I think he's totally hit on something. Yeah, for sure. Because where are you going to keep it? At your high-rise in downtown Seattle? Mm-hmm. No, you're going to walk to work, or you're going to work from your apartment and or then, your condo. And if you need maintenance done or you need it uh, washed or that kind of stuff, that can happen there. So if moving is out of the question, mm, that's good. part of your strategy in getting a car I mean, if you're in a big city, you don't need a car. You really don't. True. Manhattan is probably one of the best places to not need a car. And yeah. most cars aren't built for the city. It's only smaller electric cars that really are going to be run around in cities. Mm-hmm. Pickup trucks, sports cars. The city is too confining for mm-hmm. both of those mm-hmm. kinds of activities. That's a good point. So you're going to keep your car somewhere outside of town. You're mm-hmm. going to have something else. You're going to have storage or, you know, it's going to be cheaper, but you got to get to it. So yeah, you take yeah. a... You know, ride share somewhere mm-hmm. up there and you grab it and then you go from there. That might be part of your lifestyle or maybe you're moving too. <laughs> I want to remind you guys of DriveShare from our friends at Haggerty. DriveShare is a car sharing community that connects renters with the owners of cool cars. We're talking vehicles that elevate any occasion like a wedding or a special celebration or even a vacation. Or you can just enjoy a dream ride, a car you've always wanted to drive. That's why I put my Lotus Elise on DriveShare, and many people have loved driving it. List your car to earn some extra money knowing you're covered by exceptional insurance and roadside service. Owners and renters can both rest easy and enjoy the ride. Visit DriveShare.com or download the app to rent or list a ride today. George K. has an interesting question for us. He's in Colorado. He writes to us with the subject line, what comes after a Focus RS? Mm. Make it sound like a cul-de-sac car, George. Well, they're becoming more and more rare, but though. Maybe it that is. That idea, the, the, the heavy-duty, horsepower, hot hatch, all-wheel drive screamer. That, that Okay, yeah. Focus RS is not a common reality. I see where you are. He says he's got one. He's been daily driving for approximately three years. It's been a dream come true, and he wouldn't change it for the world, except he's writing to us to change it. Mm-hmm. Because... because. He's facing the prospect of it being totaled due to a collision with a deer. No. Very sorry to hear that. That is that is my greatest fear in the lotus because I am smaller than all animals. Like rabbits are catastrophic yeah. to a lotus. <laughs> and there's nothing but deer around here. So he's looking for recommendations as to what comes next. The budget is probably right around forty to $45,000. See, when it's sort of like... Uh, nebulous mm-hmm. kind of probably sort of in the ballpark of the ish yeah. kind of budget. You're going to go high. I screwed, you. buddy. Yep. Yeah, for sure. He's owned two four cylinder turbocharged GTIs, a Mark four and a Mark six. And he doesn't really know if he's open to something radically dynamically different oh. because that hard hitting torque of the RS is something he enjoys. He hopefully will replicate that. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to pick our brains. What comes after a focus RS? He definitely needs all-wheel drive. He lives in the mountains of Colorado, and they get 200 to 300 inches of snow a year on average, even with winter tires. He says all-wheel drive is a must. I will, I will give you a pass on that. You clearly are in an area where you, <laughs> where you require it. But what I like is you have to have winter tires. Winter tires, yes. Not good tires, yeah. winter not, tires. Not good tires. Not, not, I'll get by with all-wheel drive in all seasons, yeah, no. sir. You're getting that kind of snow. You're, you're up with us now. It's with time that to kind of weather, yeah. you have two sets of wheels and tires. Hopefully you do. Absolutely. Because in the summer, the Colorado mountains are great. There's so many yes. great driving roads. It's Absolutely. warm. Yes. Awesome. But you need winter tires on mm-hmm. a separate set of wheels and tires. You know, George, Porsche 911s do come with all-wheel drive systems. I wondered if you'd go there. Forty forty five thousand dollars. I'm gonna have to bump you a little bit. <laughs> Touch. 
increments of ten or twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> but after a Focus RS, that is a special car. It is for sure. That's a high end car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because of what it does and because of what you love about it. That car is very special. It's the driving experience of it is so much fun. Mm. It's hard to suggest even anything that's comparable in price to say, this is like a focus RS. Okay. So I'm going to also suggest a car that could be had for that price range. I'm going to actually respect that. Okay. Look at you, but it's also a bit of a cul-de-sac car because there's so many cars that it, doesn't compete with. It's almost a one of one car. Okay. It's made right. by BMW. It is the mm. two series. Oh, we okay. continually struggle with what does the two series compete against the, the coupe shape? Yeah. Not the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, not the, not the front wheel drive, awful one, the actual rear wheel drive intended, but of course you can get it all wheel drive. Yeah, exactly right. That M two forty I X drive. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to get the new one. We sure. look forward to driving that soon. Yeah. Yeah. You could go back slightly used for forty to forty-five thousand dollars, I guarantee you, you'll be able to find the X Drive flavor mm-hmm. of the two thirty-five or the two forty, mm-hmm. and that has great power. It's got that turbo punch that you're mm-hmm. looking yeah, for. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. And from a driving perspective, BMW knows what they're doing with that car. Mm-hmm. We drive them a lot. We love the two series. It's an excellent track car, but I think it would be an excellent next step for you because. Mm. It's BMW, but it's still entry-level BMW. Yeah. So yeah. as far as luxury and amenities, it's going to either equate to or be a notch above that RS. Agreed, yeah. And the driving experience is going to be more rear-wheel drive biased. Mm-hmm. Which which is what defines it as different than like the Mercedes CLA or the Audi right. uh, S3. The, neither of those are available with a manual, and both of those are front-wheel drive biased. Right. That CLA, I would take the CLA 45 they're great. in a heartbeat. They're, they're really good, yeah. I love that car. The MSRP of the one we had a year and a half ago was $70,000. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of money. A lot of money for that car. But the 2 Series is so good. So mm-hmm. look for X-Drive versions of the 240 or 235. I, I think like that. That's that good. is your choice, whether it's automatic, whether mm. it's manual. I think you will love that car. It will feel like a step up. Because for next... Unless you know you're going to some harder core sports car, mm. next always implies better. It always implies the next step, yeah. more yeah, luxury, yeah. more up. power. Yeah. It's a step up. It's yeah, not just, yeah. uh, it's a lateral move. I'm just, my car choice is just lateral move through my life. Maybe that's fine. Mm. But from an RS, mm. like I said, the amount of power and the way that car drives. He's not going to go buy an ST. Exactly yeah, right. Take your point. Yeah. Exactly right. So you got to kind of go up with that. But I guarantee you for 40 to 45, even 48, we'll say, you can find a great late model 240 X drive. I like that. That's really good. I had four categories for this. I started thinking about Georgia's situation. I have a car from the past. I have a car from the future. I have okay. a car from the market above where he's been. Okay. And I have two wild cards. Excellent. So first off, car from the past, George, you love the Focus RS. You like the crazy. This is, I, I'm reading in based on your email. You like the crazy all-wheel drive, snorty nature of it, the great thing on the back roads. It's killer in the snow. You're, you're thoroughly enjoying it. Go backwards and buy yourself the nicest Mitsubishi Evo X you can find. <laughs> Come on, man. You, the interior uh, on that is so jank. It is, but but honestly, the Focus RS interior is not great. 
it's it's, it's a dressed up better than the ST. Evo 10 though. Yes, but not by a big margin. Get a late model mm. like it. I'm going to say the 2014 is your target range because 2015 was the last year and that's when the bad seats came in. So you want the Recaro the seats. Bad seats. Okay, but get a late model if somebody's got one that ha- they haven't tuned into oblivion, a, an Evo X. I I suspect you will find that more fun to drive than your Focus RS. Now it's not I as agree recent. To that. It's just that interior. It's not as recent and it's not as nice, but I think that is the car from the past you could should seriously consider. The car from the future, I think is pretty clear, the GR Corolla. Put down a deposit on a GR Corolla. That is the spiritual successor to the Focus RS. That's a good one. I like that. Everybody else has dropped off this market. The new STI is not coming. I think, look, you're talking about a, a moment in time, all-wheel drive, snorty, hot hatchback. That is the upcoming GR Corolla. There's your car. From, you are the, the buyer for that car, George. But That's a great one. Upmarket, car we've talked about as the upmarket version of all these hot hatches many times. It's the Mercedes GLA AMG 45. You lose manual transmission. You get a great seven-speed. Get the get the prior gen to the current. The current I was wondering one if you were, were going to go there. I'm saying go, go just the prior gen, the end yeah. of prior gen. That is a hatchback. I know they sold it as an SUV. That's a lie. It's a hatchback. It's a it hatchback, is a gentleman's yeah. hot hatch. Yeah. So the GLA AMG 45 wild cards, you already mentioned one of them, Paul, and that is the Porsche 911 4S. Now, for your budget, you are in the 997. Some 996s too, but the 997. So it's early 2000s. 911. Yeah. That will probably re- require more maintenance. Some of the ones I found were running, you know, consistently around 100,000 miles, but there were a few out there that were 50, 30,000, 70,000. It's sure. about the maintenance on that car. Exactly but right. But this gets you into a 911. And you know what else is in this wildcard category as available for fun car? Different than he's had. That's why I'm in wildcard territory. Different than what George has had. Fun, rear wheel drive biased, totally new experience all-wheel drive, and his budget hits the bottom of the market. The Jaguar F-Type all-wheel drive. That's a good one. There's a lot of them out there, George. They start they start right at the very low 40s, <laughs> and they quickly get up into the 60s. But they're out there. And they're, and I found I started capping off my, my search at like 52 grand, and I kept finding a, quite a few pages of them. So that is a total wild card. But I've got, I've got options for you, man, and I hope that one of these is good. We now have an auto parts partnership with carparts.com. Carparts.com is the smarter way to shop for auto parts. Their fast, mobile-friendly experience makes it easy to shop for the parts you need when you need them. Just enter the year, make, and model of your vehicle. Start shopping and start saving. It's that simple. Carparts.com stocks their own inventory, cutting out the middleman and passing the savings on to you. And they're offering even more savings for our audience. Whether you've been in a collision, working on your project car, or need to catch up on maintenance... Visit carparts.com slash everyday driver for 10% off of $100 or more on select brands. Get the right parts right now at carparts.com. Moving on over to questions. There's one here that got me thinking. Revs up asks if we would like to design a racetrack. Hmm. Yes, I would. (laughs) Yes, I would. Thanks for writing in. Yes. (laughs) Either collectively or individually or both. Either way, I don't care. I would love to be... In the committee, in the selection process, in everything it takes to design a racetrack. Mm. And it's far more complicated than just drawing some lines. <laughs> we're <laughs> we not designing left it. And r- oh, <laughs> exactly. oh, that's well, right. We're not just drawing some lines and we're not just working in plan view. Mm-hmm. Because not only does it involve the land selection and understanding the topography, mm-hmm. revs up anything that you design. I don't care what it is, whether it's a racetrack, whether it's your eyeglasses, Mm -hmm. your footwear, a house, a car, your blender. You need to understand not only what are the materials 
mm. and how it's made, mm. but the people who make that. A lot of the cost of a design is paying the people who torture the material into the shape that it's going to be and the materials themselves. Okay? You're also paying for some shipping, but whenever you're designing something, you want to understand how these people have made it and then the use case. So, for example, furniture. Teak outdoor furniture comes from specific locations on the planet. Those craftspeople reuse chunks of teak wood in the most creative ways because mm. it's rare, it's valuable, it's an, you know, a sustainable and renewable resource, but there's limited quantities of teak in general. And so okay. they reuse various shapes, and those become the furniture glides on feet, uh, on the bottoms of, of sure. yeah. outdoor furniture, or you know, the shape of the arm. That kind of thing. But everybody loves teak, either to let it weather in the sun or you continue to oil it and it keeps its natural look to it. But because of the natural oils in teak, that's why it's used as the planking for the decks of boats Mm -hmm. and yachts. Okay. But you wouldn't suggest a company that builds aluminum outdoor furniture to suddenly get into teak. They don't know what they're doing. (laughs) Do, how, Wait, how do what, we what now? use the resources of teak? You would have to go to the factories. You would have to understand how teak is grown and mm. harvested and mm. what's involved with making the entire piece of furniture out of teak versus just parts of it. Mm. So for a racetrack, you're going to have to do a lot of driving, which sounds like a blast <laughs> of tracks around the world to understand what is a good line and what is a bad line mm. and what is a good mm. corner. And I want the characteristics of that corner and why is that a good corner? Is it just for the sake of fun because it's a fun corner down the corkscrew of Laguna Seca? Or is it because this is so technical that this kind of corner and layout mm. separates the good drivers from the bad drivers? That just sounds like fun to me. <laughs> the amount of research involved yeah, yeah. and using different kinds of cars. Because now you have to have a selection of cars as your control cars mm. because those cars on the same tires have to travel to different tracks around the world Mm. to make equal one-to-one because you're not evaluating the cars. You're evaluating what those particular baseline cars do on each track. Sure. Yeah. So the same car on the same tires on this track in Europe has got to perform. And what is that performance Mm. like on this track over here? So the amount of, theoretical work involved is exciting <laughs> to me. You're just excited to travel the world's tracks going, no, 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 I'm, I'm auditing, essentially. I'm auditing <laughs> it's this, not this just track. It's yeah. measuring a radius mm-hmm. and a corner and drawing some lines and figuring out the shape and the, the length of the track. That comes last. All this research okay. must yeah. be done. Just again, like you're doing anything, all the good products, the designers have understood how they're made and their use cases mm. too. This is why good design offices hammer on young designers to think about that. Mm. Again, the furniture, you turn a piece of furniture over and the cheap pieces of furniture have all the screws exposed. This is why all the furniture I own, I can see the screws. (laughs) Okay. Got it. I'm not saying, no, no, no. You are saying, cause I know that that's what's going on in my life. I got it. You pick up a a piece of expensive furniture and you can't understand how did this go together? All the furniture at Paul's house. (laughs) No idea how it goes together. Mine. I probably put it together. So that's how I know. Yeah. Like that joke. Mm -hmm. When you interview at Ikea, instead of pull up a seat, it's make a seat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, very nice. Very good. I like it. That's very good. Uh, Related to that, actually, is this other great question, actually, talking about building tracks. I am the problem 28 said, how important is elevation change in a road course racetrack? This is a great question. This is a great question. Because I realized I've driven tracks that are just flat. 
Mm-hmm. I've driven tracks with great elevation change. Mm-hmm. The two sides of our local track, Utah Motorsports Campus, the east side has the S's going down. That has a yep. major elevation change that you can do wrong. You can do quite wrong. <laughs> I've seen it happen. They're called the attitudes. Yes, and, and the attitude can work against you there for sure. So that, so, But here's the interesting thing. I don't think that elevation change is necessary for you to have a fun day at a track. You can be on a flat-as-a-board racetrack and have a great day. But I think it is required for you to be challenged as a driver and get better at extreme car control. Because as soon as you add that third axis of weight getting sucked into the earth or pulled away from the earth, the car acts very differently. And it also does not tolerate screw-ups when you add that third axis. And I keep thinking of the Nürburgring in this regard, but the spa is the same way. We're going to pilgrimage soon. Mm -hmm. Yes. The Nürburgring has certain corners that about half of the reason people do them wrong is the elevation change. Yeah. I think it's Schweden Courts, I think is what it is. It's after that big, the one open place, the first third of the track, the one open place where you can actually see, and you go oh, down yeah. this huge compression, and then you go up the other side. And if you're not the right side of the track, you'll launch yourself. Yeah. And that you've yeah. probably seen it. There's a terrible video from four or five years ago, maybe more farther back than that. A guy in, a, I think it's a Mazda hatchback. Maybe it's a Peugeot. It was the Magan, the white Magan. white Magan. Thank you. That's what it is. Yeah. He tumbles end over end because he was going too fast, didn't know the track, launched himself by being on the wrong side of the track going over that, that rise. And you see the result. Because of the compression of the he, suspension and then it threw the car. It, it like high-sided the car. He tumbles into yeah. the barrier. It is terrifying. Yeah. So my point here is elevation change, especially extreme elevation change, teaches you even more about car control that a flat track does not, but it doesn't undermine fun. You see, Eric, Eric's challenging us. I'm taking this on, on behalf of Radwood on Facebook. He says, Track Daily Crush 80s edition, 80s Chevy Performance <laughs> no, Edition. Right. The Monte Carlo SS Aero Coupe. I had to look it up. It's a Monte Carlo of the area with a big bubble rear glass. They're very rare. The El Camino SS and the Camaro IROC Z. Track Daily Crush. <laughs> You're going to take this on, aren't you? Unfortunately, this is an era of terrible, terrible interiors from GM. They're just, mm. There's no way around it. They're bad. I'm going to actually track the Camaro IROC Z. Why not? I'll okay. just I'll track okay. that. The Monte Carlo SS Aero Coupe is so unique that I'm tempted to daily that because <laughs> you just don't see them. Because <laughs> otherwise, I wind up in an El Camino SS. And I think an El Camino SS, first off, my wife would probably never be seen with me because she has a real problem with crux. <laughs> I know. So does. there's that issue, and I need to actually think about my well-being. So there's that. But I also think that when you drive an El Camino I'm not actually sure what the vibe is, but you have a vibe. You put out a vibe. And I don't know that my vibe is an El Camino vibe. <laughs> I don't know that I am that guy. So the Monte Carlo SS is, is unique enough that maybe I'll daily that guy. Mazda 3 Turbo Dot S asks if one pedal drive on an electric vehicle mm. lets the car behind you know that it's applying regenerative braking. Or do the brake lights illuminate only when the driver applies the brake pedal explicitly? We've wondered this. Great question. We have. And we've discovered that it does. Indeed, when you pull that regenerative braking, the brake lights do indeed illuminate. It's tough to be able to say that across the board for all cars, for all electric vehicles. 
but I think you'd be pretty safe in doing so because manufacturers realizing the car is slowing, it is mm-hmm. braking, and therefore they're going to connect the brake lights to that activity, to that regen activity. It has to do. We haven't tested them all to just to make true, sure. True, but it has to do with the, the brakes board. being applied at any way, whether you slowing. didn't do it. Yeah, exactly right. It has to because the person behind you is going to be blind yeah. otherwise, and there will be wrecks. Yes. So let's not yeah. do that. Good news, it does. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Yarman on Instagram has a hard one. Okay. In our opinion, the best beater combination, truck and sports car, with a $40,000 total budget. Mm. I'm going to say a Honda Ridgeline, which you can probably get for 15 to 20 Like first gen? I think a first gen with... Here, here's the thing. I've seen a few first gens in town, which I really wasn't sure about the styling, but the first gen actually looks better than the second gen. And the first gen, you can get cheaper, and you can put a little bit bigger wheels on it. And you know what happens? It looks kind of cool. It depends on the wheels. Like a brush bar and bigger wheels, that thing starts to look pretty cool. And that is the truck that most truck people actually need. (laughs) Hate to say it. So a Honda Ridgeline and probably a Boxster Mm. because you have Japanese reliability and the truck that you need. And over here you have a Boxster, which is probably going to be 20 to 25 of your budget. So there's the rest of your budget. But you also have a convertible. You have something a little bit exotic. It's mid-engine. It's still somewhat reliable. You can get parts for it. I think for right now, I'm saying that. Rad23Racer asks our thought on the electric Boxster Cayman. Thought about this a little bit before. Who could do an electric sports car better? What's the optimal range or weight trade-off? Lives in SoCal and it's 30-ish miles to Angels Crest Highway when it's not winter and about 80-ish when it is. (laughs) Yeah. Add 60 miles of hard driving and that's two charging stops a day Mm. in his Model 3 Performance. 270 miles indicated at 80% charge. Hmm. We welcome that, but I welcome the dynamics that are still involved with good cars. And if manufacturers can replicate good dynamics of cars, and that means weight in a central location, because when I say dynamics, you, the driver, are managing the weight of the car. You're managing the central, the pivot point and the weight shift of that car. Electric cars on a skateboard platform have made that very easy to do. They are very, very neutral, mm-hmm. almost too neutral, to the point where they're disengaging. There's a possibility of losing personality there as a result. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah, I'm, I'm continually intrigued by this. And I've started to find some differences that Audi e-tron GT mm-hmm. is like a good one. A yeah, yeah, there's, sure. It's still very neutral, mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. there's some personality to it that I haven't found on other electrics. Mm-hmm. I think that needs to be pushed, and I think Mazda is the car company to do that. Porsche certainly yeah. with the mid-engine platform, but there's not too many mid-engine cars that are accessible at a particular price point. All the supercars, they're all mid-engine, yeah, yeah. and I see that, you know, all the supercar manufacturers, Ferrari, Lamborghini, McLaren, doing that very thing, but they're still easing into that because sound is such a big part of supercar ownership. Chevy has just announced, I think today, actually, the day we're recording, of course, the Z06 is coming, and we're really excited to drive that later this year, but they've just announced that right on the heels of the Z06 is the hybrid electric assist version of the VET, followed sometime in 2023, supposedly, by the all-electric Corvette. So it is Mm -hmm. coming, but this leads me to something that I've said before, and I'm going to stand by it because I think it is the key thing. I think we're chasing range, and I think it's the wrong problem. We keep chasing, as an industry, we're chasing range. Ah, you just did 600 miles. Wow, that's awesome. Right. 
But I really think that the infrastructure to get the charging done is still woefully behind. Totally. The the e-tron can charge real fast if you can find a fast charger. We had the Mercedes EQS recently. It'll charge its 300-mile battery pack in like 30 minutes if you find the perfect end-of-a-rainbow gold pot super-duper <laughs> charger. But you're never going to find that. We charged it at a hotel. We had it plugged in for 12 hours, and it didn't even get us... Uh, three quarters. It got us like 70% in 12 hours. So I think the issue remains not range, but time to get the range back. And if we can solve that, then you could have a 50 mile electric car range. If you got it back in five minutes, you wouldn't care that much. We're chasing the, well, when we're going to get a thousand miles in my battery pack, great. But how long is it going to take to get that range back? Two days? If you if you don't find the right charger, this is the problem. I still think the issue is the infrastructure for charging and the speed of charging. That's going to make an electric sports car that you can have to drive a long way to get to a good road. It's going to make it viable because it's going to feel like a gas station. A little Back to the Future edition from Matt Guerra, 82. was shocked to read the average new car price for 2022 has passed $45,000. Ouch. Which made him think, if we could go back in time to the 90s or the aughts and buy one car for $45,000 to bring back to the future, what would that be? The aughts. See, if it was the 90s, the I'd say the Supra. The late 90s Supras, buy that for forty-five the grand fourth when, gen. when they couldn't sell them at forty-five grand because no one wanted one. Bring that forward and double your money. Yeah. See, it would be the peak of Japanese cars mm. from that era because there were good German ones then. Certainly, the the M3s were really early two thousands. That, that was the king of the M3s, the E forty six. Maybe that, was, that but yeah, forty five thousand dollars. Could you buy one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For forty five. Yeah, I, I suppose you could. Yeah, I, it'd probably be some of those. But I'd also look at NSXs. I'd look at your car, three hundred ZX, mm. easy mm-hmm. Supras. I, I still think that was the peak Japanese hot accessible car era. Easy Honda S two thousands. Oh yeah, and then we could just bring a trailer. How about, Matt, I buy a bunch of them for $45,000. And by bunch, I mean like two or three. (laughs) (laughs) Slightly used. And then you bring them to the future and you bring a trailer the heck out of them. Jared Rose 1 asks if we're still going to try to hit Hocking Hills in Ohio on our East Coast trip. We're going to try. We have a loose plan. But, you know, plans with these old cars and these road trips have to stay a little bit loose. So we'll see. Hopefully that'll happen. You say you're local to the area. You could give us some tips. I would welcome those. Send us an email with uh, your favorite parts, and I would happily, happily take that information for sure. Thank you always for your questions. We really appreciate it. Write to us, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. Topic Tuesday's car conclusions. And most of all, your car debates. Looking forward to hearing from you. Cheers, everyone.